to hear. And each one of us, um, speak to each one of us as you will. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It sounds like there's a really big party going on out in the foyer. So uh, I know people will c- continue to come in. Uh, we're, we're continuing this morning in our, in our Advent series, Hymns of Christmas. And at Christmas, you know, everybody is looking uh, to feel happy. Right? We, want, we want kids to like, grow up with some of their happiest memories being around Christmas, around this time of year. We want them to enjoy the lights and the music and the, like, the hot chocolate and the Christmas movies. Uh, we want to see their faces light up on Christmas morning as they get to unwrap the gifts. And we as a society like, seem to want that not only for our, our own children, but we want that for every kid. Right? It's really quite beautiful the way so many like, different and divided people give so much together to make a Christmas morning like a happy time for as many children as possible. And happiness isn't just for the kids at Christmas. Like we adults, we love it too. Right? We got the sweaters and the games and the decorations and the parties and the food, all of the food, so much food. And we all give to make sure that people have food during this season too. It's, it's really quite amazing. We all want this to be the most wonderful time of the year, and we, we seem to chase it. Like, we chase happiness, and I think it's a good thing in many ways. Like, of course, we can take it too far, and we often do take it too far, but being happy together is really great. It's like we were meant to be that way. In church, we talk about not just like Christmas Day and the Christmas season, though, Right? We also talk about the season of Advent, which actually means a season of waiting. And it's a season that I think is largely lost and misunderstood in our culture. Like, sure, people have their, like, Advent calendars, and they, they count down the days to Christmas with those, but, the, but they're celebrating Christmas Day almost the whole month. If you understand the sort of, like, darkness of Advent. For most, the whole season is about making happy right, about the food and the parties and the music and all that. But Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of coming to terms with a world like imprisoned, a world held captive by sin, held captive to death. The light of the world, Jesus, was coming, but Advent is the darkness before the dawn. And there's something about waiting in the darkness that is profound. Now, honestly, I have a hard time with the tension of these two things, right? The happiness of the season of Christmas celebrations and the solemnness of of observing Advent. It's kind of hard to, like, stand in the tension of those two places, and I wonder if you struggle with that tension as well. Today we have the third Advent candle lit. It's the joy candle. It's the single pink candle amongst the three purple candles. Pink is just a a color traditionally associated with the days of joy in the church. Uh, And I think that how this candle stands out from the other purple candles and how this theme of joy stands apart from the others is pretty significant. Because this theme of joy, for me, starts to bridge the gap between the happiness of the season and the solemn nature of the season. Like I said, we've been exploring some hymns together this season, and today's hymn is sort of an obvious choice. It's Joy to the World. We sang it just a few minutes ago. And Joy to the World is a classic hymn, and it makes a lot of sense for us to explore it further while considering this theme 
of joy for at least two reasons. First of all, it's taken from a psalm, which of course was sung by Old Testament people of God all through their many ups and downs. It's a psalm sung by those who are waiting in the dark for the light to come. It's a psalm that was sung by those who are waiting for the Messiah to come and to save the world from sin and death. But also, it's a psalm that calls those who are waiting to not merely wait quietly, but to wait with shouts of joy. And that has to speak to those of us who who struggle with the tension between the happy celebrations and the solemnity of the season. And the second reason this song fits today is because we're exploring these hymns together to help us engage uh, these familiar choruses that we sing or could be singing sort of habitually through the season. Knowing that sometimes we sing things and hardly realize what we're singing and that that may be especially true with Christmas songs and Christmas carols and Christmas hymns because we've, many of us have sung them since we were practically babies. And so our hope in the series is to help us sing them afresh in our praise and worship of our Lord and Savior. And this whole errand, I think, would be especially pleasing to Isaac Watts, who was the writer of Joy to the World and about 750 other hymns. Let's talk about Isaac Watts just for a moment. He lived from 1674 to 1748, and his name is still well known today. His 750 or so hymns include a lot of classics that many have grown up singing and that even those outside the church may be familiar with because of their massive popularity, Joy to the World being a prime example. But there's also others such as At the Cross or um, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross and many others. And while these songs are classics today, Watts encountered a ton of backlash for the hymns that he wrote because his writing was different from the traditional hymns that being sung in the church in his time. While most were basically singing the psalms without any real change to the words in their times of corporate worship, Watts took the psalms and he changed them pretty drastically. Why? Well, because Isaac Watts witnessed how the weekly singing of the psalms was often done habitually like without any real digestion of what was being sung and maybe without even real understanding of what they were singing. And so Watts thought people ought to continue to sing the psalms, but he also believed that if they truly understood them, not just as the songs of old, but as songs that were pointing to Jesus, and if they were able to see how they applied even to their own Christian life today, then it would lead to a more passionate and engaged praise and worship of our Lord. So really, Isaac Watts started writing sort of translations of the Psalms to be sung. They were paraphrases. And there were many who were dead set against such a thing. And honestly, his story kind of reminds me of that of Eugene Peterson several years ago when he wrote the paraphrased Bible, the message, and how many people were upset about that. That's kind of a side note. Anyways, Joy to the World is Isaac Watts' translation or paraphrase of Psalm 98. And I think after just singing the song, uh, if we just look at the scripture, we're going to immediately see the difference. So I'm going to read this for us. It's from Psalm 98. You can follow along with me. It says this, O sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness 
to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and with the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. There's almost nothing about joy to the world that sounds like it comes from this passage. I mean, they both call for, for joy, but the words are really almost nothing alike. But if we take a, closer look, uh, take a closer look and especially consider like how Watts was translating a psalm to be sung from the perspective of knowing that the Messiah has not just coming, but he's already come and that salvation has been made possible by the cross and resurrection, then we can start to see that finding Jesus at the center of this psalm expands it and helps us like enter into and experience the joy that this psalm calls for. And I would say... It compounds our joy upon that joy. Of course, Psalm 98 was written a long time before Jesus came. It was written and it was sung by Israel. It was for God's people, God's nation. And so the psalmist calls Israel specifically to to shouts of joy and to new songs. In verse 1, there's this call that is echoed in many psalms. He says, He has done marvelous things. In Psalm 126, it's more specific. He has done great things for us. In verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 98, He has revealed His righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. That means that the earth has witnessed how God has saved Israel. That the nations saw what God did for Israel. Egypt watched God save the Hebrews out from under them. Other nations have seen how God had saved Israel in battle and given them victories and given them land and given them cities and given them a nation, and they witnessed Israel be saved, which is a testament to the power of God. But this psalm was distinctly a psalm for the Israelites, not for the nations. Nations did not yet know God's salvation. They didn't know They were waiting on it. But for Israel, they knew. They knew that somehow God was working out his promises to Noah and to Abraham and to Moses and to David through them. God was going to save the nations. God was going to save the world. And and, and they didn't know how. They didn't know when. But they knew it was happening because they saw how he was always working for their good. And if he was delivering on his promises to them, then it could only mean that he was going to deliver on his promises to redeem the whole world through them somehow. And they, of course, were were as forgetful as any of us still are today, and they often forgot who God is and what he was doing and and all that, and they, they forgot that he was altogether worthy of their praise and worship, and they turned from him and they sinned, and we know that. But that's what this song is for, right? Like to call them back, to help them remember like that the Lord has done great things for us and we can be glad 
is to call them back and, and to remember to turn to that joyful waiting, even if the present circumstances were grim and dark. This song was calling them out. Everybody be joyful and sing and dance and make a joyful noise because the king is coming. The Lord has done great and marvelous things for us, and so we know there are great and marvelous things ahead. The psalm was meant to tap into the hope that Israel had in God because of how his steadfast love had always been shown to them. It was meant to provoke joy. And I mean like great joy and jubilance and singing and dancing and playing instruments, even in the waiting. God's people were likely singing this in the golden years of the kingdom when things were good. And it may have been easier for them to sing it then, but they were also singing it later in Assyrian and Babylonian exile, in captivity, in diaspora. They could sing it in the darkest part of the night like a kid who is scared of the dark but remembers in the darkness that in the morning it's Christmas and there will be presents. And the, anticip and the anticipation then swells, right? And it drives away the fears of the night and it thrills the heart with joy for what is coming. Joy. Joy that surpasses understanding. Isaac Watts rewrote this psalm, Psalm 98, as joy to the world because he wanted us, those on, on this side of the coming of Jesus, to sing this psalm with the perspective of not only knowing that the king was coming for the salvation of the nations, but that he has already come, and that as far as the curse is found, his salvation extends and his kingdom rules. He wanted us to know a joy compounded on joy. Watts, Watts wanted Christians to remember, though we are here in the waiting for Jesus to return, that Jesus has already come. And what the psalmist and Israel sang was true. God had done great things for them. And those great things have now proven to be also for us because of Jesus Christ and who he's made us. So we wait now for his return and his making all things new. But we also know that as the song sings, the Lord has come, right? He is the king. The Savior reigns and he rules the world with truth and peace and though there's evil still present in this world, there's absolutely nothing that can ruin our God. And so there's nothing that can ruin us. And the evidence is just overwhelming. I was going through a, a fairly dark season a few years ago, and I landed in another psalm, uh, Psalm 33.5 specifically. It says this. It says, He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The earth is is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. And as I meditated on that passage, I realized that I, all I needed to do was look up. Like, it's full, right? It's full of evidence of the steadfast love of the Lord. All I needed to do was look up. His steadfast love is evident all around me, but I needed His help to, like, raise my head and look to see it. Too often I was, like, walking with my my head down, looking at my shoes, defeated, maybe cynical, without hope. But when I looked up, I found that the earth was full of the steadfast love of the Lord. The evidence of his goodness was 
like all around me. It was just made clear everywhere I started to look, and the evidence was overwhelming. When we sing Joy to the World, with its call to, to prepare him room, I think we are similarly, similarly being called to simply lift up our head and remember all that he has done, to take in the evidence of his goodness that is all around us and to let our hearts be filled with gladness, even in the waiting. And this is good news for me, and perhaps it's good news for others who get a little stuck between the solemnity of the season and, and the celebration of Christmas. We may be waiting for the king's return, but the Lord has come. He gave his life for our salvation. He is our king. The Savior reigns. It's true. Like he defeated death, and there's no power above or beyond him, and he's for us, and he rules the world with truth and grace. He rules the world, the whole world. Far as the curse is found, he has brought truth and grace, and he's making all things new. Psalm 126 says it. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. I think there's certainly a difference between happiness or gladness and joy. Happiness has more to do with our current state of emotion, and and joy is found in, like, our enduring identity. But there's happiness that bubbles up from joy. And it's the best kind of happiness that we can experience. And so when we sing along with joy to the world, we're actually declaring all the evidences of his goodness, along with everybody else, along with all of creation. We're declaring all the evidence of his goodness. We're declaring the roots of our joy, knowing we are his, and that he has done great things for us, and he is doing great things for us. And as we sing this, we are proclaiming this back to our God. We're proclaiming it to one another. We're proclaiming it with and to all of the earth. And so we may still be waiting. We may still be waiting in the dark, but we're getting ready to party, right? So this morning, it's the halfway point of Advent. And I just want to encourage you as we kind of close to allow your heart to look up, to remember that Jesus has done marvelous things. He has done great things for us. And let's like break out into a sort of midnight celebration while we wait for the king to come. There's hope that is sure, right? Love that is real and ever-present, and our hearts are free to put away the fears of the dark and to be glad and to celebrate and be happy and be filled and overcome with joy. We're going to move into a time of response as we do each week, and we're going to come and we're going to take a, a communion and we'll come and we'll come down the aisle and you can take the bread and you can dip it in the wine, you can dip it in the juice. And of course, when we do this, we're taking uh, the, the body of Christ that was given for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And as we do that, we are remembering the good news of Jesus Christ and we are effectively proclaiming to one another that he has done great things for us. It's true. And our hearts are overflowing with gladness. So let's come and remember and proclaim that together today. Whether you're a member of redemption or not, if you believe that to be true, we invite you to come, remember, and proclaim Christ together in this way. As you come, there's an offering basket in the back where you can give. You can also give online. A lot of us do that, maybe an automatic draft. Let's take a moment 
as you come and as you respond to remember that God is our provider and that that gift isn't just simply slipping out of our account, but it's being given back to him as an offering of of praise. I'm going to pray for us as the band comes up and, and we'll move into that time. Our Father, you have, you have done great things for us and we are glad. I pray, Lord, this morning uh, that even as we, we begin to respond again with singing, that that become like a declaration for us and that become a, the proclamation that we're, we're, we're telling one another. You have done great things for us. And it just, it proves who you are. It proves what you're like. It proves what you're doing, what you're up to, who we are to you. And it's not just us. It's not just one nation. It proves that your promises, you're making good on your promises. You've already made good on your promises. You're coming to redeem the whole world and to make all things new. And everything that we can look at, the evidence is all around us, is that you're doing it and you've done it and you'll do it again. Make us a joyful people. Help us to wait. Help us to know that it's, there's still a period of waiting. But allow our hearts to be lifted and to begin to anticipate and to be excited and to celebrate even in like the midnight as we wait for the morning. Because in the morning, it's Christmas. And Jesus has come. In Jesus' name. Amen.